Hey there. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Lakeside. I'm your host, Daniel Stombaugh, and I'm glad you're here with me today. We are going to have a transformational day today. We're going to take the next few minutes and talk about our identity in Christ, that is who we are in him and who we are to him. And this is powerful because identity brings purpose. Let's get started. Episode number 11, and this is from the devotional book. This is day number 10. We're in Song of Solomon chapter 1 and verse number 14. And this is a powerful verse. And remember I said in the previous episodes is that the king is in a constant state of speaking into her life. And as you grow in your faith, as you mature in your understanding of God, what you'll find is every encounter that you have with God, it is him reaffirming your place in his heart. It's him referring, uh, reaffirming his affirmation and his pleasure in you. And if anything, it's asking the Holy Spirit to help us unlearn maybe some teaching that we've had about God in the past, uh, some to unlearn some of the understandings that we have about him. Because it's not a performance-based acceptance with God. It never has been. It's never been, what can you do to prove yourself worthy of me? Our righteousness is us filthy rags, he says in Isaiah. So it's not about us proving ourselves to him. Everything is that he has done for us is based solely upon who he is. Uh, God loves you not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. And the determination to love you was made in the fact while you were yet sinning, Christ chose to die for you. He chose to extend himself. And so yesterday I challenged you, in the last episode to write down somewhere, I delight God, because you do, and it is proven by John 3.16. You only extend worth, uh, you only extend an action to try to regain or to capture uh, something or to purchase something that you truly, truly want, and God did that for us when he sent Christ to Calvary to die for us. It was a proof positive that he delights in you, and he desires you, and he wants you, and to say, I'm wanted by God. We say, well, if I God desires me, if we say that, we think it sounds so vain to say that. But truth is, I don't have to say that. God said it when he did, when he sent his son to die on the cross for me. He said, I want you, Dan, and I love you, and I want you, and I desire you. And just to say, God delights in me, and he does, man. He delights in you. God delights in you. And so to say, hey, I delight God's heart, that is not vain to say. That is an honest statement because you truly do. So we're looking at day number 10 in the devotional on episode number 11 here. In Song of Solomon chapter 1 and verse number 14, and he is speaking, the king is speaking to the girl. He is speaking to the shepherd girl. And so you have the lyrics of this song is the king and the shepherd girl. The melody is the sexual content that's in this book. And the message is what's between the lyrics and the melody. And so as you read this passage here, the lyrics are going to stand out to you very, very beautifully because the lyrics are him speaking to her and making a comparison to her. But the message is what we want to catch. We The lyrics are nice, but the message is what I want. And I love the fact as he's walking with with her, he makes a statement. They're going out to the garden. Now, the garden that the king had was very, very special. It's not just a flower garden that you would see in a hotel lobby or in a hotel courtyard. This was actually a, a garden that was put here by the king. It was put and built into a place called Engedi. It was a valley called Engedi. And Engedi was a uh, basin that was dusty, it was dry, it was arid, it was rocky, and it was uh, very, um, very empty and desolate. It was a place there beside the palace. It was just very, uh, you didn't walk near Engedi and you weren't inspired 
inspired. You thought, well, there's a big dust bowl <laughs> when you looked at it. But Solomon looked at that and said, I want, I see something more than a dust bowl. I see a chance to deliberately display my power as king, to display my ability. And uh, I'm going to do something in the spot that people will forever be changed about who Solomon is based upon what he has done to this spot. And it was no different than when God, looking at the earth and seeing it was well out form and void and sent his spirit, it moved upon the face of the water. And when God in Genesis began to create the earth, he took from a barren rock and he made something extremely beautiful. So I look at chapter 1 and verse number 14 of Song of Solomon, and as he's walking with her, he stops and he points something out to her. And if you notice, man, if you've checked out any of the episodes up to this point, you've noticed this one common thread that the king is in a constant state of speaking value into her heart. You know, the more you grow in your understanding of God and his heart for you, you'll find out that he's in a constant state of speaking value. When you start to look at the, the word of God even through the lens of the love of God, you start to see something change. Uh, it was uh, God was someone to me growing up that I needed to be afraid of. Look busy, Jesus is coming mentality, right? So he was the micromanaging employer. He was the, uh, he was the tyrannical judge or tyrannical boss, and he was waiting to smite me if I disobeyed. But when I began to see his heart for me, everything changed, like everything. Even my desire to be serving him changed because I no longer wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted to live from him. Like I wanted him as my source. I wanted to be around him and I wanted to know what stirred his heart. I wanted to, to know what, what caught his attention and what caught his eye because that's what I wanted in my life. So makes a statement in Song of Solomon chapter 1 and verse 14. He says to her, my beloved is unto me as a cluster of campfire. Not campfire like marshmallow. Campfire is C-A-M-P-H-I-R-E in the vineyards of Engedi. He makes two different things are said here. He speaks to her and he says, you are to me like this cluster of this particular flower, campfire. It's a rock rose. And then he makes this reference to where this rock rose is placed, in the gardens of Engedi. And what to me is beautiful is this spot. Let's just focus on the rock rose here because he makes this definition of this rose. And it's a rose that just, it grows out of a rock. And it should not, it defies uh, laws of nature almost because it doesn't grow in fertile soil. It grows in and out of a rock. You find this campfire in rocks and it grows out from among that. And you look at that and think there's, if there's one place a rose should not grow and the flower should not grow, it should not be out of a rock. It's a beautiful picture of you and I, like we grow out of him. I mean, the world looks at Jesus and because Jesus' name has been tossed around so lightly and so loosely. Uh, and bumper stickers to quotes to Saturday Night Live sketches, they talk about Jesus and it's thrown out there in curse words. It's thrown out there in the name of Jesus. Go get Jesus, man. I don't need Jesus. Go buy Jesus and different things that we, I'm just here to, to, to sell you Jesus and all the different skits that are out there making light of them. They look at that and they say, there's no way that anyone should thrive or should grow out of that. What do you mean you have Jesus, you have everything you need? What do you mean by that? When you understand who Christ is to your life and who he is to you is like in your value to God because of him, you begin to flourish and you begin to grow. And I think of this flourish, I think of this word, and I think of this growth, and I think of how we grow from Christ, and we grow from the rock, which is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone, and we grow from him. 
And then he talks about this Garden of Engedi. And what's beautiful to me about this garden is this wasteland, this desolate place that King Solomon took on as a personal project. And he imported over 10,000 different plant species to this garden. He said, I'm going to make a garden grow where it should not grow, where it should defy logic that a garden would be found. I'm going to grow something. I'm going to make it beautiful. I'm going to forever change this landscape. And when people look at this, it will never again be dry. It will never again be dirty. It will never again be dusty. I'm going to make this place fruitful. I'm going to make this place beautiful. I'm going to make this place shine. I'm going to make this place everything that it could possibly be, and I'm going to blow the barn doors off everyone's mind that sees it, because when they look at this, all they're going to see is what my power produced where it should not have been producible. And so he made this garden. He imported 10,000 species of trees. I'm talking redwoods. I'm talking about trees that were only native in North America. He was over there bartering with Indians for plants and bringing those back and providing an environment where these things would grow and they would flourish and they would thrive. To make a plant, to take a tree from several thousand miles away and to transport it by ship, how long was that journey? How how intense was that care that was given to that plant to keep it alive so that it could get to the garden? Man, you didn't want to bring a shriveled up plant to Solomon and say, I got the trees you sent me to, across the sea to get. No, sir. No, you did not do that, man. This was the king. You wanted sure that whatever you're doing had care so that you could bring it back and you could present it to the king and say, look, here's what you asked for, and it's all here. And he produced this garden beautiful with all of these different plants and species. And as you walk through this garden with her, her barn doors were blown off at his power and amazed at what he's able to do. And he said, now look at this. See this rose over here? It grows out of a rock, and this is what you remind me out of. You grow from me. You're flourishing because of me. You are planted in me. You and I were taken from our natural environment. We were planted in Christ. And in that growth, we are a testimony to the power of the king and a testimony to his care for us. You know, God made you to be seen. He compares her to a flower because a flower was not made to be hidden. A flower was made to be seen. A flower was made to be appreciated and to be inhaled and to be enjoyed, uh, to, to inhale its fragrance. God made you to be seen. And God says, listen, I've taken you from where you were planted, and I've transplanted you and placed you in me, and now I allow you to grow where I plant you to grow. And we look at our, our job, we look at our family, we look at our assignments that were given in life, and we say, why did God allow me to be here? Of all the neighborhoods, why am I here? Of all the places to be employed, why why did God let me be here with the people that he did? These people are aggravating the fire out of me. Why did God let me be placed in these people's lives? And understand you were not there on your own choice. God planted you in that flower bed. God planted you in that landscape. When you think about a landscaper, those HGTV shows, if you ever watch those, uh, you have these guys that are way into gardening too much. <laughs> so much so that they say, look, I planted this flower and this flower and this flower and this flower all together, different species together in the same bed. So when they grew up, he said, it would project this type of atmosphere, give this sort of, this portion of the lawn, it would give this landscape a very peaceful look. It would project love. It would project gratitude. And they have these, all these names that these combination of flowers projects. And understand that you have a bloom and you have a fragrance and God planted you where you are because he designed you, the master landscaper designed you to grow in uh, relationships with other Christians, with other flowers. And he allows you to be, I mean, you may not have the same bloom as the flower next 
next to you, the other believers in your department or the other believers in your family. You may have a different fragrance and a different bloom, and you may take on a different growth spirit. Honestly, you're not in competition. You are simply giving God glory by growing in Him, and you let that you let that be your focus, to grow in Christ, to let Him perfect you and mature you in the understanding of who you are in Him and to Him. And as you do, you begin to grow, and those other flowers with you, they all grow in the same time in different colors and different blooms and different fragrances, and it gives off an aspect or an aura of peace. It gives off an aura of love. And the truth is, the landscaper doesn't just leave one flower in its same spot the rest of its entire life. He transplants that flower from different landscape portions and different landscape atmospheres and environments, and he moves those flowers around annually or biannually, or even several years later, he'll move and rotate the soil around. What is he doing? Why does God transplant you? Why does God take you out of a church that you were thriving in? And God says, I'm going to move you over here. And why does God do that? Man, he is moving you from landscape to landscape. And we get in trouble when we start to fight him. We start to fight the landscapers. Hey, don't move me. Let me grow here. Let me just be here. I'm happy here. I'm happy here. And God says, I needed you to be moved. Man, you didn't want to be laid off your job. You think you're being punished by God? Understand you're not. And sometimes God says, the only way I can get you to leave this area is if I take this job. I'm moving you. I designed you to grow and to flourish and to bloom. You're growing from me. I'm your rock, not the job. I'm your rock, not this relationship. Why does God move people out of your life that you love and say, God, why did you move that person? Man, they're not your rock. I'm your rock, he says. And I'm going to move you around. I'm going to move you as I see fit in the garden because I'm trying to project something. I made you to be seen. So when he's walking with the bride through the garden, he stops, he looks in her eyes. I can imagine the moonlight is up and just casting a beautiful light across her face. He looks deep into her eyes and he says, you are like a beautiful flower. You are like this flower that defies everything about nature. By all aspects, this flower should not grow. But you, I look at you, and you grow. You're blooming, and you are beautiful. And you are fragrant. And you are the prize of this garden. I'm telling you, I look at you, and it stirs my heart. Because I see determination. I see defiance. I see such an inner strength in you. I see your source. I see everything about you, and I see you blooming. And you've defied everyone's words, you defied everyone's opinions, you defied everybody, everybody's opinions about you. You know, they picked you apart growing up, and I see you growing, I see you thriving, and reminded of how strong I am, because I made this happen, I brought you to a place where you could do this. It speaks volumes of your king, it speaks volumes of you as a flower, and I want everyone to see you, I want everyone to to notice you. I want everyone to see your strength. I want everyone to wonder about how you made it when everyone thought you shouldn't. You know, everyone thought you should have given up a long, long time ago, but you, you showed them differently because your source has been different. And I love you. Man, as he took her through the garden, she was just overwhelmed by what she saw. He brought her this little cluster of roses and he said, this is you. You're not this tree, you know, you're not a redwood. You know, you're not a, you're not just a regular rose. (laughs) You're a rock rose. Like you're powerful and you're strong and you have a strength that you don't even know yet. 
but I'm going to teach you your strength. I'm going to teach you your source, and I'm going to instruct you. And the day that I met Christ, it was just, I looked up in his eyes, and he was like, Daniel, you are strong. You've had people tell you that you're weak so much that you've looked in the mirror and you've thought yourself weak. And all those times where you've been said, I wish I was stronger. And you have a strength that you don't even know yet. And as we go through life together, I'm going to bring you through circumstances. I'm going to bring you through some things that are going to be tough and they're going to hurt. And you're going to, you're going to get mad and you're going to wonder, why did you allow? If you love me, why did you put this in my life? But it's going to reveal a strength in you. It's going to reveal a source in you that you did not even know you had. And while you were comfortable, you never could have experienced it. And while you thought your rock was a person, guess what? They're going to fall away. And while you thought that rock was a title, guess what? It's going to fall away. And while you thought that rock may have been a job, guess what? That's going to fall away. And you're going to find that your strength was never, never in you, and your strength was never in your own ability. Your strength was never in your own sources. And if you've ever, ever felt weak, it's because you have focused your strength and confused the source of your strength with a job. You confused the source of your strength with someone else's affirmation of you. You've confused the source of that strength with something that you've done, and it has all been confused. And let me show you, as you grow in me, I'm going to show you your source. And when you see your source, when you, when you learn to look at your source with eyes that can see and ears that can hear, you are going to forever be changed because you're going to face every wall from this day forward. You're going to face every giant from this day forward with an understanding that your strength cometh doesn't come from the hills. You lift up your eyes to the hills from whence cometh your help. Your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And you're not going to know the Lord is just this distant deity. You're going to see him personally with you. You're going to see his spirit is with you and there's nothing you can't handle. There's nothing you can't go through because you are surrounded and protected by my love for you. What an awesome day in the garden for me. And man, this book, this teaching, if this is this garden moment for you, man, I am loving that. I'm loving it because that's what it's all about. My beloved is unto me as a cluster of campfire in the vineyards of Engedi. He wasn't just throwing words out there to try to seduce her. He wasn't just trying to get into her pants. He was speaking to her heart. He was repairing doors that had been kicked in by the adversary. He was repairing bridges that had been burned by people in her life. He was putting oil on wounds that she had in her soul. And he was saying, I am going to restore value to you because I'm going to teach you who your source is going to be. I'm going to teach you that. Because Solomon knows that there's a chapter 8 coming. You know, the chapter 1s with God are amazing. And why are they so amazing? Because God knows there's a chapter 8 on its way. And there's a chapter 8 opportunity that's coming. And when you get to that chapter 8 number opportunity, you're going to reach back for what he gave you in chapter 1 of your life with him. And you're going to say, I'm going to take into consideration what God told me in my chapter 1 from my chapter 8s. Man, 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 I cannot wait to get there with you. This has been day number 10, episode number 11, uh, Song of Solomon 114. I cannot cannot wait for tomorrow. We're going to jump into when God looks in our eyes. When the king looks in our eyes, what does God tell you? What does God see when he looks in your eyes? Because I promise you, God does look at your eyes, and what he sees is going to blow your barn doors off. Thank you so much for being with me today. Can't wait for tomorrow. Hope you have a fantastic day today. God bless you. Make sure you give away your smile. The world is hungry for your smile because your smile is shows your source, and the world is hungry. Hungry for your source. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow.